WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Folks, spiritual growth takes place when we make sure that we are not governed by what we want to do. It's a submission to the Lordship of Christ. You're not your master anymore. Jesus is. And so instead of our behavior governed by what what we do, it's what God wants us to do. And how do we know that? We look into the Word of God. That's what he means. It's self-control. Before you were a believer, you did whatever you wanted to do. Now you want to do what he wants you to do. It has been said that it's far easier to do what God wants us to do than to face the results of defying his instructions. But you know what's even better, way better, is an understanding that submission to Jesus is not a decrease in suffering, it's an increase in joy. It's what we were designed to do, so how could it not be fulfilling? Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve will be wrapping up this second message in his series from 2 Peter chapter 1 about God's provisions for spiritual maturity. In the passage we're considering now, Peter gave us seven personal qualities that we need to develop in addition to our faith if we hope to become mature Christ followers. Believers already have these virtues because God gave them to us when he gave us eternal life. The first thing that Peter mentioned is moral excellence. I'll let Pastor Steve take it from there that we are to be putting our faith into practice. In other words, make sure that you are not passive and inactive, waiting for something to happen. Instead, we are to have a faith that we fight for. That's what Paul meant when he said, I have fought the good fight of faith. It's applying your faith to every situation in life. We're to exercise as we apply the word of God to our lives. Now, is that the kind of faith you have? Or is your faith something that if somebody talks about your faith, you say, well, it happened 25 years ago, I received Christ. And that, that's it. That's all it, ha- that's all it goes. That's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about a faith that is stagnant or lethargic. or is, He's talking about faith that's active. It's really what James tells us, be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's also what James said and, and when he said, faith without works is dead. If you have a faith that's not working, it's dead faith. It's not the faith God has given you. That kind of faith is a faith that that you are to be diligent with. So that's what he's talking about. To your faith, uh, add diligence, add moral courage, add a fight to it. Put, Put a little activity behind it. Be involved. Apply the word of God to life situations. Number two, he doesn't stop there. He says in verse five, we go on, and in your moral excellence, that means that you, you have some, some moral pursuit, pursuing something in your faith. But in your moral excellence, he says, add knowledge, supply knowledge. A growing Christian doesn't have activity alone. He doesn't just have bravery or moral courage or, or excellence of virtue alone. He doesn't just have zeal. He, he adds the quality of knowledge. And let me tell you why this is so important. If you just have a lot of activity and you're just applying your faith all over the place without knowledge, you're going to have zeal without knowledge and you're going to use a lot of energy that's, that's absolutely wasted. Uncontrolled spiritual zeal and activity doesn't help anybody grow. And there are some, some people like that. They have a lot of zeal, but they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. The knowledge that he's talking about here 
is knowledge of the will of God. It's knowledge of the word of God. You know who is the best example of of a Bible character who had a lot of, of zeal and a lot of activity, but didn't have knowledge? It's Peter himself. Peter himself. The Gospels portray Peter as an impulsive man, as a uh, man of uncontrolled energy who often made rash statements, rushed into doing things that only later got him in trouble. He's the, the man many of us can relate to, open, open mouth, insert foot. That was Peter. It was Peter's lack of spiritual knowledge that landed him in all kinds of trouble. Let me just remind you of a, a few of these. Remember in John chapter 13, the Lord is uh, waiting. This is the night he's going to be arrested and betrayed. He's waiting for one of the disciples to wash the feet of the others because in, in that day they, they reclined when they ate. And uh, if your feet were not clean, they were in somebody's face or close to it. You wanted some clean little tootsies there. So, so Jesus waited. Usually it was the servants of the home or the, the youngest, and nobody did it. So one of the greatest majestic pictures of, uh, of the servanthood of Christ, he puts on an apron, customary in those days, and he begins, the God of the universe humbles himself to begin to wash the disciples' feet. And when he gets to Peter, Peter says this incredible statement. Only Peter had the gall to say things like this to the Lord. He did it on a number of occasions. He said, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. I mean, I can't imagine. I guess I can't imagine, but uh, saying that to the Lord, because I'd probably do the same thing. But Peter did that. He said, Lord, never will you wash my feet. And remember what Jesus said, if I don't wash you, Peter, uh, you have no part with me. Because Jesus was demonstrated, demonstrating humility and servanthood. He was also demonstrating that they needed to be cleansed. And Peter says, well, if that's the case, give me a whole bath. Wash me all over. But, but he made that rash kind of stupid statements. He sees what Jesus is doing. He has a lot of zeal, but he doesn't have knowledge. It only gets worse with Peter. Later on, or, or actually earlier in the Gospels, Peter uh, and all the other disciples are being told by Jesus that he would go to the cross. He explains that he will be crucified, that the Jewish leaders as well as the Gentiles will crucify him. And Peter actually rebukes the Lord. I mean, in, before we told you they just said, no, you'll never do this, Lord. But now he actually rebukes him and he says, God forbid it, Lord. I mean, imagine telling God, that God forbid this, what he just said. That's amazing. He said, this shall never happen to you. I mean, Peter didn't know what he's talking about. And that's where Jesus turned to him and said, get thee behind me, Satan, for you don't know what you're talking about. And you're, you're just thinking of what man wants. Remember, it was Peter who denied the Lord three times. But you know what led up to that? Jesus is telling his, uh, his disciples that when he's arrested, they're going to scatter. He said, you're all going to forsake me. The, the shepherd will be taken and the sheep will scatter. And Peter makes this absolutely arrogant statement. He said, Lord, though all men will forsake you, not me. You know, these guys who you've been with for three years, I'm a cut above them. I know these guys, they'll forsake you, but not me. And Jesus rebukes him and says, Peter, not only will you forsake me, you're the one who's going to deny me three times. I mean, you put that, and there are other statements too in the Gospels. Peter was doing this constantly. I mean, he's on the Mount of Transfiguration and he gets this bright idea to start building homes there. And, and that's when a voice comes from heaven and says, this is my beloved son, hear him. In other words, Peter, we don't want to hear you. You listen to him. So Peter is the perfect example of a man who had zeal, but lacked spiritual knowledge. 
He didn't understand that what Jesus was doing washing his feet. He didn't understand what Jesus was doing and going to the cross. And he certainly didn't understand that he wasn't any better than any of the other disciples. And so now it's years later. Peter is an old man. He knows he's going to die soon. And he sits, he sits down to write this letter with incredible understanding that the only way to grow is to make sure that you have knowledge added to your zeal. Peter's the perfect example of this. And that knowledge is the enlightenment that comes from God's word. Listen, are you increasing in your knowledge of the word of God? Do you know more about biblical principles today than you knew six months ago? Now, how do you increase in your knowledge? Well, let me give you some practical ways to do this. First of all, it happens by your own study time. You need to be studying the word yourself. But also, you certainly in your quiet times can uh, have supplemental material. You can have some wonderful devotionals, some good study helps. You should be reading other Christian books. Listen, I learned so much from, from other Christian books. I, I think it's just uh, one of the most ridiculous things when somebody, and once in a while I hear this, someone will say, I never read Christian literature. I just get it from the word. Well, that's, that's usually arrogance behind that because God has given us, uh, for 2000 years, great Christian men and women who he's given insight into his word. And so that's like saying, I never need to hear a pastor. I just read the word of God. No, he's given us many, many pastors all through the ages who can teach us. And so get into good Christian books. We have a wonderful church library. Uh, I just, if you don't know what books to, to get and where to start, just ask me, ask any of our elders. We'll be happy to help you on that. But you also learn from going to a Sunday school class. We have some great Sunday school classes here at Lakeside, and you ought to be involved in them. You ought to be learning from them. Not only that, but uh, just from the pulpit. Listen, you ought to be taking notes. If you've been here for any amount of, of time with us studying at Lakeside, you can have your own little set of commentaries from these notes. I've, I've been preaching for over 20 years, and uh, honestly, my commentaries are my notes. I don't remember. Someone asked me, well, remember what you said in First John? And I don't remember what I said. I have to go back to my notes to see what I believe. You ought to, you ought to have a file of notes. You ought to have a file of notes and you can refer back to them. So anyway, you, you ought to approach the Bible that way. It is, it is not, when Peter says knowledge, he is not talking about just accumulating facts and information and, and geographic stuff is important and is helpful. And as interesting as that is, he's talking about enlightenment of biblical truth and principles. Number three, self-control. He says, as he continues in verse six, he says, and in your, in your knowledge, self-control. Peter tells us as we grow in our understanding of God's word, we are to cultivate the quality of self-control. Now, what is self-control? It's not hard to understand. Basically, it means to control our passions rather than be controlled by them. And it's broader than just sexual passions here, though it certainly includes that. It extends to all areas of life. Basically, it means that we must discipline our desires and make them our servant rather than our master. That's what it means. Folks, spiritual growth takes place when we make sure that we are not governed by what we want to do. It's a submission to the lordship of Christ. You're not your master anymore. Jesus is. And so instead of our behavior governed by what, what we do, it's what God wants us to do. And how do we know that? We look into the word of God. That's what he means. It's self-control. Before you were a believer, you did whatever you wanted to do. Now you want to do what he wants you to do. 
So if you see any amount of self-control, any time that, boy, I'd love to do it, but I'm not going to because the word of God says that that's spiritual growth. That's evidence of, of Christ in your life. Number four, perseverance. Verse six goes on to say, and in your self-control, perseverance. Those who grow in the Lord must learn to persevere, which means to endure under the trials and adversities of life. Jesus once gave a parable about the seed that went out and, and some of the seed dropped on, on, on ground that, boy, it sprung up very quickly and it looked good. But then Jesus said, hey, the scorching sun came and the weather came and, and it, it just fell away. He compared that to a human heart in which the word, it looks like it takes root and there's immediate little spurt of growth. It looks like growth. It looks like the real thing. But then adversity comes, then some trials come, then then there, there's the cost to being a disciple. And this person says, hey, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm not interested in this. I just wanted the fun part of the Christian life. I want to go to heaven, but I don't want any of this other stuff, this suffering that goes along with it. That person is not a believer. That person is not a believer. They just looked like they were believers initially. And so here, what, what Peter's telling us, that that true growth looks like this. It perseveres. It doesn't quit. It keeps running the race even when you're weary and you feel stressed out. Listen, everybody faces pressure. You don't have to be a believer to face pressure. But we as believers face unique pressures, unique stress points in our lives. There's spiritual pressure, satanic oppression. There's uh, persecution. There's desertion of friends for the sake of standing for the truth. If you haven't had it already, you will have it. You stand for the truth. And people you were close to, uh, they don't agree with you, and they're moving on. And, that, and that's a hurtful thing. That's all part of perseverance. So how do we develop this endurance? I'd like you to turn just back uh, just a book or two to Hebrews, just past James, to Hebrews chapter 12. I've gone over this before, but let me just, in this context, come at it from another angle. The writer to the Hebrews is, is addressing Jewish people who were heavy into persecution. The, the unsaved Jewish community was really upon them. And the writer wants them to endure and not go back to Judaism and not retreat. And so he says in verse 1 of chapter 12, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, this cloud of witnesses are the characters who he's, who he's just written about from chapter 11, the men and women who were heroes of the faith. They really trusted God. No matter what went on in their lives, they believed God's word. So he says, hey, we're surrounded by this. He's not talking about, you know, they're looking down from heaven and they're cheering you on. What he's talking about is that they are on the pages of Scripture. They testify to you. They're witnessing to you that, that you can trust God and you can make it. That they, they crossed the finish line with great triumph because they trusted the Lord. Some of them crossed the finish line on their knees. Some of them were crawling. Some of them just fell over, but uh, none of them, if you've seen that commercial, none of them bunked. They all made it because they trusted the Lord. And that's why it says, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, no matter what holds you back. And the sin which so easily entangles us, he says, hey, be free. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do you run with endurance? When you're going through adversity, you fall back on the word of God. You trust the Lord. It will get better. He will give you the grace. You can trust him. You, instead of responding to the adversities of, of life with bitterness and anger, you respond by trust. But he's not finished. Look at verse 2, and this is just precious. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. You gaze upon Jesus. You turn away from whatever you're, you're gazed upon, and you fix your eyes on Jesus, 
the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now look, Jesus endured. He didn't quit. He endured. Why did he endure? Because there was joy set before him. You say, well, it was easy for him. No, no, no. Look, he says he endured the cross. He despised the shame. Even though the cross was the most shameful of things, he despised it. He sat down. He is now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What the writer is saying is, you know how you endure? You endure the same way Jesus, as the God-man, endured. You have an eternal perspective. No matter what trials you're going through, that's not the end. The end is the joy at the finish line. And Christ understood that. The Lord understood that there is a finish line after the cross, and it was glory and, and the presence, being back in the presence of the Father and bringing sons and daughters to heaven with him. There is a finish line for you and for me. No matter what you're going through, you can persevere because it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Perseverance. Eternity in view. Don't just think about your little world. Think about eternity. Number five is godliness. He goes on in verse six to say, and in your perseverance, add godliness. And what does Peter mean by telling us that we're to develop the virtue of godliness? It's somewhat of a, a vague term, but I, I take it Godliness basically is that attitude of reverence that seeks to please God in all things. That's as simple as it comes. Godliness is an attitude of reverence that seeks to please God. It means your motivation for, for all of your growth, all of this stuff, your motivation is to please the Lord. Otherwise, you could be developing these character qualities just out of sheer determination. I mean, there are some people who just want to be nice in that sense. They, they just want to uh, have social standing and they try to better themselves, but there's no spiritual desires behind it. It's, they're not doing it for the Lord. They're actually doing it for themselves to show off. We want to develop qualities that are Christ-like and virtuous because that is what pleases and glorifies the Lord. So that's what I take it he means by this. Then he says, number six, we're to add brotherly kindness. Verse seven says, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness. This is that great term, Philadelphia. We get that word Philadelphia from this love of the brethren, fondness, affection for the brethren. We are to love other believers. We are to love them. It doesn't mean we have always, uh, that we like everyone the same way, but we are to love others and do brotherly kind deeds. See, you can never grow in the Lord if you isolate yourself. That's why we have, one reason we have a local church. You never can grow. No one is growing in the Lord who goes off by themselves and just contemplates spiritual truth. They may think they are, but they're not. You grow in the Lord when you're active in ministry. Do you get that? You can't, no one is growing like they should if you're not active in ministry. You're to be involved. If this is your church, you're to be involved in this church. It doesn't have to be an official program, but you do need to be active in people's lives sacrificing for them, giving of yourselves, using your spiritual gifts. It could be an official program. There are plenty of, of opportunities we have for you. But you cannot claim to love God and not love the brethren. It just doesn't work like that. If you've received God's nature, you must love the brethren. You'll be stifling your spiritual growth if you're not active. Number seven, found in verse seven, is and in your brotherly kindness, Peter writes, add love. Now, where is love different than brotherly kindness? Well, in brotherly kindness, it's love for the brethren, for believers in, in Christ. But the love he's talking about here is for those who are not believers. And how do we love those who are sometimes very unlovely? Well, we seek to do the best for them by desiring the highest good for them. God loves them. 
and the sun shines. He causes the sun to shine on the believers and unbelievers. And we are to do good to all men, Paul said, but especially the brethren. But we're not to neglect loving others. This is how God demonstrates his best or demonstrates his love for us, the highest good. So these are the virtues of life. This is if you see growth in these areas, any growth, any fruit, you're a Christian. And we'll have more to say about that next week as we study this. Let's bow for prayer. A lot of things, lots of things for you to think about and apply in your life. But folks, this is how we pursue spiritual growth. Are you going to do anything about this? If you've been, if you've been a lazy Christian, if you've been sort of waiting for it to happen to you, then maybe this is just a wake-up call for you. It's not going to just happen. Peter tells us, applying all diligence, and either you're going to be diligent or you're not. And if you have a struggle being lazy in, in, in spiritual disciplines of life, then just ask the Lord to help you and then do something about it. Don't wait till you feel like doing this. Do these things because God's word says to do it. We must pursue spiritual growth. Otherwise, it may very well indicate that you don't know the Lord. What are you going to do about these things in your life? As God has, has used his word, has spoken from his word this morning, I'm sure there are areas you need to make sure that you're, you're being more diligent in. And we'll let you in a moment just talk to the Lord about that. But if these qualities are not evident in your life, I mean, none of them are there and, and they've never been there. No matter what you claim to believe, I want you to know you need to trust Christ. You've never trusted him if, if these are not in your life at all. But you're not saved by making simply a prayer. You're saved by trusting him as Savior, surrendering to him as Lord. It all goes together. And I invite you to do that. Give us a few moments to pray, speak to the Lord, and then I'll close in prayer. Father, I pray for each one of us that we would know how to apply these, these truths from Second Peter to our lives. I would pray that you would help those especially who... Um, have lacked assurance that this would help them. I pray, Lord, for those who have had a faulty view of, of spiritual growth, that this would really help them. That, uh, Lord, I know there are some who just sort of have that trite answer for every problem. I just have to give it to God. But I, I pray that, um, that they will see the balance here and that um, we'll understand as a church body the theology of spiritual growth and I pray that there'll be no misunderstanding so that um, we don't lean in one direction, neglect another truth, and get things out of balance. I pray, Father, for those who may never have never seen any indication of growth in their lives, that you'll use this to, to wake them up, that they might make their election and calling certain. So, Lord, we pray that you'll take all that's been said and done and apply it as only you can, in your precious, unique fashion. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I do hope you are working on developing those seven godly qualities in your life. Yes, it takes effort, but the joy of obedience to Christ is well worth it. Thanks for listening today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Stop in some Sunday if you're in town and looking for a place to worship. You can get service times and directions online at lakesidechapel.com or call the office at 727-441-1714. You can also call if you'd like to help support Verse by Verse financially. 
or if you'd like to have an audio CD with the message Pastor Steve just finished. Simply call 727-441-1714 and ask for message number 4804, Pursuing Spiritual Growth, Part 1. You can also listen or give online at versebyverseradio.org. There's a giving page for your convenience if God's leading you to help us keep these lessons on the air, as well as a message archive with hundreds of free audio files for you to stream or download. That's versebyverseradio.org. Do you sometimes wonder why God wants us to work on these character qualities we've been studying? After all, He's given us eternal life, so theoretically, we could just kick back and coast into heaven. That would be nice, right? Well, as Pastor Steve moves on to the following verses in this study of Second Peter, we'll see some very good reasons for making the effort. This is Jerry Peterson inviting you to join us for the next Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse W262CP Bayonet.